We've all seen the incredible horse and rider combinations as the backbone of our sport. But what about everything else that makes the equestrian world tick? From the everyday grind to the world-class professional, join the Equestrian Podcast as we talk about every equestrian discipline in a way that hasn't been done before. Now here's your host, rider, trainer, and influencer behind my equestrian style, Bethany Lee. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Equestrian Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Lee, and this is episode 117. If you've been around any bit of time, you know that I am a huge advocate for finding something that you are passionate about within the equestrian industry, because there are so many different options and, and places that you can have a living or even just a passion or a project within the equestrian world. It doesn't always have to be riding or training. So this guest today grew up riding in multiple disciplines and and kind of gained experience within the hunter-jumper world, Western, polo, dressage, and landed on creating a position for herself as a freelance polo groom. Naturally, I had so many questions, so I had to get her on the podcast. So without further ado, let me welcome our guest today, owner of Best Playing Pony LLC. Here is Kelly Gross. Well, I would love to hear... A little bit about you and how you first got started into the equestrian world, because I feel like your job description is super unique and definitely raises questions of like, what exactly <laughs> is it, how you did it, how you got there. So to start, let's, let's hear about how you first got into the equestrian world. Yes, it's all been a long time coming and it's, it's been a wild ride for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so I started taking riding lessons when I was about 10 or 11. And as a little kid, I'd been talking about horses forever. My parents were tired of hearing about it. So they finally said, all right, let's get this kid on a pony and do some lessons. (laughs) I love it. Yeah. And so I started taking lessons at a little hunter jumper barn. At the time we lived in Arizona, actually. So I was really close to our house and I went once a week with my friend and just took lessons. And then my family moved to Colorado, which was like the best thing that could have ever happened to us. We moved up to Colorado and I found an excellent barn that I continued taking lessons at. And that was, again, hunter jumpers, but it was also a well-rounded barn. They had a little bit of everything. They had a few Western people boarding there and they had a connection to the Denver Polo Club. Hmm. So there was a lot of polo people around too, especially during the summer. And so it went from taking lessons there, you know, when I was 12 or 13 to, you know, leasing a horse and then doing little shows, schooling shows. And then when I was 16, my parents bought my own horse for me. He was this really cool off the track thoroughbred, but he looked like a warm blood. He was kind of like big and dopey and adorable. (laughs) And so, so I started doing all everything with him. I'd take him on trail rides. We'd do little shows. We did dressage and jumpers and hunters and just a little bit of everything. Had a lot of fun. And it was about that time, you know, when I was 15 or 16 that I was just hanging out at the barn so much because I loved it. And the connection, like I said, there was a connection with this barn to the Denver Polo Club, and they needed a few extra grooms on the weekends just to help out with grooming the horses and being around for tournaments and things like that. So they saw me hanging out so much, and they said, hey, do you want to come help? (laughs) And I had nothing better to do, so... Off I went to the polo field, and that was what started the whole polo adventure for me, was just being invited to to help and to learn about it. Mm-hmm. From there, you know, I really had to start thinking about what I wanted to do in terms of a career and college and all that good stuff. So I knew that I wanted to do something with horses. I'd always wanted to ride and just be involved in the industry. And it started to become clear to me that polo was really my my niche, my passion in the industry. 
not just because of, you know, because it's something different, something that not a lot of people know about with, you know, the hunter jumper community, but also just because I loved the people. I loved the process, tacking up the horses and taking care of all of them and just the fellowship and the camaraderie that came with all of the activities around polo. You know, it's not just a game on a Saturday and then everybody goes home. You know, there's like a pre-game party and a post-game party and it's a really good time. And so as I grew as a polo groom, I, you know, gained more skills and I got better and I learned a lot. And uh, I kind of decided that I wanted to go to school, learn how to ride better, and just basically do whatever I could to find a job in the industry that would allow me to ride and groom and be involved in polo specifically. But again, I have a background in everything else too. So (laughs) yeah. Um, So that was really great. So then I went to college. I came up here to New Jersey. That's where I still am currently. And I went to Centenary University, which is up in Hackettstown, which is an excellent school if you want to do riding and training type stuff. So I do have a bachelor's degree in equine studies. And when I first showed up, I thought I was going to do a concentration in riding because I thought I was hot stuff. And then (laughs) I showed up. And I kid you not, Bethany, like the first day that I went and rode, I think I cried. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> it was so sad because I had gotten so good at like riding thoroughbreds and these fast little polo ponies. And yep. then I show up at college and they have these warm bloods. And I'm mm. like, I don't know how to ride this. Yeah. <laughs> so I totally got my butt kicked by the dressage coach. So that was a good thing for me to go through to realize that I still had a lot to learn and to also explore some other career paths and options that were available through that program. So I ended up after, you know, I had to be talked into it, but I changed my concentration to business management, Hmm. which I'm so glad that I did because it has been very useful since then. (laughs) Got it. Awesome. Love it. When you were transitioning from your experience with Hunter Jumper and you had a little taste of polo and, you know, Western from the the barn that you were at before to then all of a sudden helping and, and learning the discipline of polo. Do you remember how that transition went for you and some things that you learned and some of the big, you know, like differences or comparisons between the two? Yeah, it was really interesting. So Aside from, obviously, there's a few differences with the type of horses and the tack that we use and things like that. Right. A lot of what changed for me was my approach in the saddle. So there's a lot of similarities in terms of equitation and ways that your aids function. But I found that, you know, polo ponies, they neck rein and they're used to responding to your seat almost more than your legs sometimes. Okay. And that was very different for me to learn, you know, coming from a hunter jumper and even dressage background where it was all about put your leg on and make sure your heels heels are down and, Mm -hmm. you know, just having a very specific idea of what equitation should be. So a lot of what I learned, especially, you know, riding and schooling some of the polo ponies just um, to keep them in shape and to help uh, warm them up for games and stuff like that was not just me focusing on how I looked and how I was riding, but also how my position affected the horse and how differently I could communicate with them, if that makes sense. Totally. Yeah. And then moving forward into polo, how did you feel like your background helped you, you know, be a better polo player? So having a riding background when you come into polo is half the battle because- 
polo, you don't just have to know how to ride. You also have to have the hand-eye coordination to swing the mallet, hit the ball, and think mm -hmm. about your position on the field. So certainly having a riding background and being um, solid in the saddle, having a good seat and a good leg helps a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, having an understanding of just how to take care of horses, especially in an event type situation, because, you know, a lot of what I did was grooming. I didn't play so much as I groomed. Mm -hmm. And so it wasn't just about tack up the horse and send it out. It was, you know, I knew from the schooling shows that I had done, it was make sure he's clean, make sure the tack is clean, you know, check for any uh, problems, bumps, slumps, swelling, whatever. And that really helped as well. I think that's one of the things that made me a valuable polo groom and still does is that it's not just a job, it's a lifestyle. And it's, I guess I don't know how to explain it. It's, it's just one of those things you have to consider the whole horse mm -hmm. and not just what you're sending it out to do, if that makes right, sense. Right, right. What are some typical injuries or soreness or, or things that come up with a polo pony that you've noticed? I'd say the majority of them are musculoskeletal, right? Okay. So they have to do with tendons, ligaments, muscles. You know, every so often a horse would pull a muscle or strain a muscle or whatever. And a lot of what uh, we do behind the scenes with polo ponies is meant to prevent that sort of thing. You know, making sure that their fitness is where it needs to be. Make sure they peak in the middle of the polo season or whenever, you know, the big tournaments are. But also something to consider with polo ponies, and especially where I was at the Denver Polo Club, they had this, was that the horses live outside in a herd, in a paddock. You know, they don't live in big stalls like a lot of the hunter jumpers might. So just, you know, things that might happen out in the pasture, you know, horses getting kicked or getting rain rot. There was a summer when we had to deal with all that kind of stuff, skin fungus. Oh, man. It was a mess, but, <laughs> and then also, you know, I was in Colorado, so we had to consider the weather, which changes so quickly. You know, if Colorado, if you've never been, if you don't like the weather, you just wait 10 minutes because it changes <laughs> and it's just completely unpredictable sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Well, it sounds so, like Florida. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, a little bit about that. Yeah. So, yeah. So a lot of it was weather related, you know, again, mm. the rain rot was because it rained for a whole summer, pretty much every day. And wow. So, was so tender and it's just, yeah. So I'd say a lot of musculoskeletal type stuff. And then another thing worth mentioning with polo ponies is that their hooves need extra special attention. Mm. We've all heard the saying, no hoof, no horse. And I think that's especially important for an athlete like a polo pony yeah. because of what they have to do in the field. You know, they have to be able to go from zero to 60, run up and down the field, and then also be able to stop on a dime and turn and, you know, maneuver around other horses and mallets and things like that. So making sure that their lower leg and their, and their hooves are in good shape is so, so important. Mm -hmm. How have you noticed as far as, you know, your, your relationship and work with, with the farriers and with their feet, do they have any special like shoes or anything that they do differently from a farrier standpoint? Sometimes it depends on the polo player, to be honest. Okay. <laughs> you know, I've worked with both pros and amateurs and everybody has a, a different take on it, you know, okay. as most horse people do. But yeah, um, I think with professional polo players, especially, you'll see that they want a lighter type of metal. So I think it's aluminum that they really like because it tends to be lighter, but it still provides the structure that right. the hoof needs and then allows it to expand and contract, you know, as the horse is moving. And then I think in some cases, I don't know if this is true all the time, but I think sometimes they'll do like studs, like you might do mm -hmm. for um, eventing or something like that. Yeah. It just depends on, you know, where the ponies are playing most of the time because yeah. every field's a little different. So if you happen to know that your field has really good grass, but it tends to be slippery, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, they might choose to do studs or something like that. And then, you know, something else with farrier work is that a lot of polo ponies, not 
you know, every single one, but most of them tend to have some type of thoroughbred background, uh-huh. um, thoroughbreds, off the track thoroughbreds, Argentine thoroughbreds, stuff like that. Right. So, so they tend to have very delicate feet, you know, they're prone to thrush and they're prone to just having like small little dainty feet sometimes. And so making sure that the shape of the hoof itself is correct is really important, you know, having the right angles. And a lot of farriers have talked to me about making sure the horse has enough heel so that he can stay balanced and stay not on his toes, but just, you know, having enough weight distributed across the whole hoof. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like with polo ponies going on so many different like you were saying, different types of terrain and dry and wet and grass and, you know, just so much variation that having a healthy feet seems to be like especially important. Absolutely. And there's a lot that you can do management wise to make sure that your horse's hooves are healthy, you know, so there's nutrition and obviously working with your farrier closely is so important. And as a polo groom, you know, I've seen a lot of that behind the scenes stuff where we're working with the vet and the farrier and the chiropractor for a horse that's maybe struggling or whatever. And so it's really important for the whole team to work together. Totally. Yeah, exactly. So tell me a little bit about how it came to be with kind of your role as a freelance polo groom. I think it's something that not a lot of people know about. Not a lot of people know that it is a thing, but it's really cool um, that you have created this brand for yourself, Best Playing Pony, and that you you can market yourself to various polo players and provide your services in a freelance way. So tell me a little bit about how that came to be and, and, and what you do with your business? Yeah. So after college, I had to decide what to do, you know, how I proceed with my degree and staying with horses. Like I said, I really wanted to uh, continue working in the horse industry and certainly being involved in polo. So straight out of college, actually, I ended up getting an internship with Brookledge Horse Transportation, which is totally random, but I'm so glad I did it because I learned so much about you know, transporting horses and that whole side of the industry. And then some of the connections that I had made through both that internship and my college experience led me to a job in New Jersey again. And so I was a private polo groom for a little while. I worked for this polo player and he was an amateur, but he had a lot of fun and he had five horses. And I think he was a neurosurgeon somewhere in in, uh, upstate New Jersey. And so he just wanted to show up at five o'clock in the evening, ride his ponies and then Mm -hmm. play on the weekends. And I did the rest of the work basically. Nice. And that was great for a lot of reasons. It was a really nice string of horses. They were so sweet and so easy to work with. And I loved it. But after a little while, I got frustrated with a few things in terms of management. And I just wasn't quite happy in that particular barn situation. And so I took a little break from horses for a few months. And I said, okay, I need to figure out how to manage my life and also stick with horses that creates a better work-life balance and also allows me to hang out with my boyfriend more at the time. He was my boyfriend. Now he's my husband. Uh (laughs) (laughs) But of course he's not a horse person, so he doesn't understand why I need to be at the barn seven days a week, you know, 24 hours a day kind of thing Mm -hmm. or be available that much. And so I thought about, you know, what do I really want out of life and what do I really want out of a job? And I basically came to the conclusion that I had to create my own job if I wanted to live the life that I wanted to make my own schedule and things like that. Obviously there's a lot of of benefits for entrepreneurs that work for themselves. And so that kind of started my journey to entrepreneurship, which is funny because I never thought I'd be the one starting the business. I always was like, no, that takes too much effort. Mm. I don't want to. And it's funny yeah. how 
you say you never want to do something and then that's exactly what you end up doing. <laughs> <laughs> Funny how that works. Yeah. So I started my little LLC, Best Playing Pony LLC, and I called it that because in polo, they give out some kind of awards at the end of games, especially big ones where it's a big tournament or whatever. And so, you know, they'll do an MVP like they do in football. And then there's also a Best Playing Pony, which is like recognizing the best horse on the field at that day that had an excellent partnership with his rider, had excellent turnout, and just did an excellent job, you know being where he needed to be and following the ball and all that good stuff. So it's really exciting when a horse that you groom wins the best playing pony award. Yeah. <laughs> it's a pretty big deal. They get a blanket and sometimes they get carrots and other prizes and things like that. Cool. And it's just, it's just an honor to be involved, especially for an owner that's maybe an amateur rider and they're just getting into the sport. And mm. so it's really encouraging to them to be recognized for their horsemanship and things like that. So that was what I wanted to do with my business was encourage specifically amateur polo players to continue being involved in the sport, help them be successful and help them develop a better partnership with their horses. And so that was the inspiration behind the name of my little LLC. I love (laughs) it. Yeah. And so what it developed into was, you know, obviously I have a background in hunters and jumpers and dressage and all kinds of things and connections through St. Mary and Brookledge. And so I ended up having a few polo clients. And then I also have a few other clients that have retired horses or they're jumpers and they're just going away for a weekend and either horse ridden, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. So that's where I um, allowed myself not just to focus on polo, but just to be a freelance groom in general, which is a really cool way to do it, to be honest. A lot of people ask me if I have my own horse, you know, my friends that don't have horses and I say, no, it's, it's cheaper to ride other people's horses. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. I get that question all the time. And I'm like, I somehow um, have figured out a way to not have to have my own horse and pay the bills. And (laughs) I, I think of my client's horses as my own because I get to spend a lot of time with them, but yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Exactly. Yes. You get the the honor and the privilege of riding them and caring for them. And then you don't get to take care of the bills at the end of the day. So it's a really good deal. (laughs) Exactly. I wanted to say a huge thank you to our sponsor today, O3 Animal Health. They have a signature product called Equine Omega Complete. It is a specifically formulated brand of mechanically expelled, not chemically extracted, organic soybean oil, human-grade deep water wild-caught fish oil, and 1,200 IUs of all natural vitamin E per daily dose. This product is no chemical processing, has no hydrogenated fats, and is comprised of all human-grade ingredients with a very balanced ratio of omega-3s to omega-6s. It's used by some of the top horse breeders, trainers, owners, vets, and it really provides a complete balance of beneficial fatty acids to provide the perfect fat for proper cell function. The O3 Omega products do so much more than just simply add weight if needed or produce a shiny hair coat. The O3 Animal Health products support healthy cell function in the horse. They cleanse the cell membrane. Every cell in the horse's body is surrounded by fat. So their products provide the healthiest fat possible so that nutrients and waste get in and get out of the cells. This helps the cells of the horse function at an optimum level. This is why the O3 Animal Health products can help support healthy joints, better gut health, respiratory health, skin health, allergies, and more. 
O3 Animal Health truly helps support the horse from the cellular level up. So make sure you visit their website at O3AnimalHealth.com or give them a call at 855-366-8822. That's 855-366-8822. Thank you so much, O3 Animal Health. All right, let's get back to our episode. Tell me a little bit about the highs of your specific job and the challenges as being a freelance groom. Well, certainly one of the highs is that I get to basically be a rider on wheels, you know, so what I do is I'll make appointments with my clients and I'll come to see their horses and take care of them at different points in the day. Um, Especially with the polo clients, you know, I'd have a set schedule with them. And so some days I'm just driving from barn to barn to barn and I'm riding and I'm the happiest kid ever. I just get to spend all day with horses. (laughs) Yeah. So that's certainly achieving the goal that I had set out to do, which was spending time with horses and making a career out of it. And then also just meeting so many interesting people, you know, in polo and in the horse industry in general, I'm sure you've experienced this too. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, you get to meet so many interesting people that you might not have otherwise. You know, a lot of the polo players that I've, I've groomed for have been in, you know, real estate or finance or whatever. And they're such genuine down to earth people. And I Mm -hmm. never would have had the opportunity to connect with them if I hadn't been taking care of their horses. (laughs) Yeah. So certainly the, like I said, the fellowship and the camaraderie that comes with polo and horses in general is really, really exciting to me. And really one of the things that again, has drawn me to polo specifically, I guess in terms of the lows, I mean, any groom or barn manager just knows what I'm talking about when I say, you know, any health issues with the horses, any big accidents or things that just happen all of a sudden, those are Mm -hmm. always tough days to get through. You know, there was uh, one day last summer that one of the horses I was grooming just choked on her grain one morning and I had to figure out what to do real quick. And, you know, it's just stressful things like that that make it a difficult thing. And sometimes that'll mess up your schedule for the day and you have to adjust. But, you know, it's one of those things you just got to do what you got to do and the horses come first. Mm -hmm. And, you know, at the end of the day, I try to do work that I'm proud of. So, I don't usually get home and regret what I've done. I usually think through things as I, you know, process them and make sure that my clients are happy, the horses are healthy, and then I take care of myself as well. So getting through those low points is certainly uh, difficult, Mm -hmm. but I think, you know, with a lot of thoughtfulness and certainly building protections into my business plan has really helped to minimize, you know, the amount of problems that I've had. Definitely. I've never been a groom in the sense of like a full-time capacity. I've definitely gone and groomed at shows for a couple weeks or things here and there. And I always, by the end, have extra appreciation for grooms who do this full-time because (laughs) it is probably one of the hardest roles in the equestrian industry, if not the hardest. So what would you say that you do or the, the things that you put in place for yourself with this career to not burn out? That's a great question. And that's actually answering that question was really important as I made my business plan and decided to go the freelance route. So I've established a few things that all of my clients know, and they know it from the beginning and they're willing to work with me. And, you know, they're very happy with the schedule that we set up. But one of them is that I don't work on Sundays, period, because my husband and I reserve that day for church and seeing our friends and seeing each other. And that's been something really important in our marriage. 
So, so even though there's polo games on Sundays, there's always shows on Sundays and I've been asked to go to those things. I say, no, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I don't work on Sundays. And that's a hard thing in the horse industry, you know, totally. because to some degree you're expected as a groom, especially to be available 24, seven, seven days a week. Yep. And so that was a, li- a limitation that I set uh, in terms of my business, which is another reason why it's nice to have an LLC because I can set policies um, for things like that. I also have been really diligent about biosecurity. So I want to make sure that I'm protecting not just myself, but also my clients and their horses in terms of, you know, spreading, you know, diseases and all that stuff. And even before the coronavirus was a thing, I was thinking about this. And a lot of that I picked up in college. I learned that it was so important to make sure, you know, you don't stick the end of the hose in every single water bucket because then Mm. you could be transmitting, you know, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So, so I had some biosecurity measures put in place as part of my policies and just the work that I do as a freelance groom. So I ask all of my clients, you know, are your horses vaccinated? Have they had any recent problems? Have they had any of these diseases? You know, I have a little list and I just try to make sure that I keep things clean. I've been very diligent about keeping my car clean because it's basically my tack trunk on wheels. Yeah. So, so I had a schedule over the summer, you know, during polo season, and I was super busy that every Friday I'd get home and set aside an hour to take everything out of the car, you know, run the laundry to laundry room real quick and get mm-hmm. that started. And then just go with my little hand vacuum and my, you know, cleaner spray and just go over the whole car yep. <laughs> and make sure it was all clean and tidy and make sure I'd gotten any, you know, extra hay out or any extra like fur out of the seats and stuff like that. And that's really important to do, you know, not just for a freelance groom, but for horse people in general. I think, you know, especially if you're visiting more than one barn in a day, Mm -hmm. keeping your car clean, keeping your tack clean. And I often brought a change of clothes with me. So I'd change in the car or change in the bathroom when I got there so that I'm not bringing, you know, (laughs) the last horse's snot to the next horse. (laughs) Right. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. So that's, that's always been really important to me. And even more so, you know, last year with everything that happened and all the ways that we had to be careful as people and in addition to keeping our horses safe. So now obviously I'm wearing a mask when I go to the barn, I'm Mm -hmm. changing my masks often because they get sweaty and gross and hairy. Right. (laughs) And again, changing clothes, making sure I do hand sanitizer. I have a little alcohol solution that I'll spray on, you know, surfaces that are touched a lot, like door handles, I'll clean Mm -hmm. things as I go. And um, just protecting myself and protecting others in those ways has been really, really important and really helpful. Absolutely. What would you say is an area of the industry that you are passionate about that you feel like the rest of the equestrian community either doesn't know a lot about or doesn't talk that much about? Oh, I love this question. (laughs) So I guess some of it I've talked about already, but Mm -hmm. I'll expand on it a little bit more. I think it's really important, especially for young people that are interested in getting involved in the industry or even amateurs that are working, but they want to get more involved with horses. It's so important just to know, first of all, that you don't have to be a rider, a trainer, or a groom and like devote your life to horses. It's not an all or nothing kind of thing. You know, Mm. I think it's certainly possible and I give you permission if you're listening and you just want to know that somebody approves of this, (laughs) (laughs) you have permission to create your own work-life balance in the horse industry. It's difficult to do, but if you get creative, you can do it. You know, 
what I did was um, establishing myself as a freelance groom so that I could have time with my family and my husband and making sure that I'm a balanced individual so that I can help my horses be happy and healthy and do my best work. So there's a lot of different paths in the equestrian industry. I think you're a great example of them, actually, Bethany. Everything that you do related to fashion and, you know, working with different brands and things like that. You know, you don't have to be a rider or a trainer or a groom to spend time with horses or horse people mm-hmm. and be involved in the industry. There's a lot, a lot of opportunities out there for anybody with any skill set, really. So the sky's exactly. the limit. <laughs> exactly. I think that's a really great point and something I always try to reiterate as I think for maybe people our age growing up, it seemed like that was the only option. You had to be yeah. either a rider or a trainer to work in the industry. When mm-hmm. like, obviously there are so many other areas, but they were the only ones talked about and showcased. So I, I feel like the industry as a whole is doing more and more to start putting a spotlight on some of these other areas. And exactly what you said, it's so true that really anything that any individual is passionate about or good at, there is an equestrian related position out there. Yeah. And if there isn't, you can certainly create one. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, it's also worth mentioning that, you know, even if you are a rider or a trainer or a groom, that's awesome but there's going to be seasons in life when you just can't <laughs> like yeah. right now well, I, for I, you. <laughs> I told you earlier, I'm seven months pregnant. I yeah. can't ride, Yeah, <laughs> you know? So right now I'm taking a little break and I'm going to come back better than ever in uh, next summer. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, you know, there might be seasons where you can't ride or you can't do what you used to do and that's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have to be a dedicated rider trainer groom forever. You can always change your path. And one of my favorite authors says it's never too late to reestablish what you want your life to be about. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think that's an amazing kind of statement to live by and to remember. And I think it really helps us and is an encouragement to not get stressed over if, you know, some maybe like a certain path that you thought you were going to have doesn't exactly work out how you planned. So yeah. there's there's always ways to pivot and adjust. And I'm sure a lot of, I mean, probably both of us and a lot of people listening have experienced that even just in this last year. So just finding the core of, you know, what you're doing and why you're doing it and then finding, finding ways to adjust and um, pivot in order to still love it and enjoy it. Yes, absolutely. And that's the thing is, you know, we don't have to resign ourselves to, Oh, I can't ride anymore. So I'll never be happy again. You know, that's not necessarily true. I mean, I, used to groom more than I rode. And I was, I was so content just being around the horses and I never Mm. thought I would be, but here I am. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Right. When I first became a professional, I was so hung up on like, okay, I'm not anything until I can start showing and, you know, be successful in the show ring and do that and do that. And I had such a goal and such a pressure about going to show, even though I had taken four years off during college. Mm -hmm. And when the opportunity didn't really come up in my in my riding position in California to do that and to go show um, where it pivoted for me to start helping at the the barn that I was working at their, their riding school and mm. being a trainer. Never thought I wanted to teach. I just wanted to ride, ride, ride. And it's just funny how just trying something different made me realize how much of a passion I have for teaching and starting kids out and and seeing that, you know, their their face light up when they touch a horse for the first time or when they jump the first, you know, jump for the first time, you know, going through that, you know, avenue of the equestrian industry. And now I'm go, I help my kids at the show and I'm at the in gate and I'm like, you know what? 
I really don't have a desire or like desperate need to show anymore. And I like, I love wow. preparing my, the, my kids horses in the morning and, and helping at the ring and helping at the, at the end gate and prepping and making sure the, you know, the horses are perfect for, for my clients that that's like so much more rewarding to me now. So it's just interesting how you, your journey kind of shifts and, and something that you thought was like so important. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm not worth anything unless I can do X, Y, and Z and how that can just kind of that, that dynamic can just shift. Yeah. Yeah. Every rider has something valuable that they can contribute to the industry, even if it's not riding related or, you know, not in the saddle necessarily. A lot of the folks that I worked with at Brookledge in Pennsylvania, their office there, they used to ride and maybe they can't anymore. or They're just not interested in being hands-on with horses, but they're excellent at what they do, you know, in the office setting even. Yeah. Um, one of the ladies that I worked really close with, her name is Leslie, and she used to own a tax shop. She used to work with you know, London Gray and doing dressage for kids and stuff nice. like that. And she was so experienced in the industry and she is happy as a clam at Brookledge because she gets to talk to horse people and talk about horses. And yeah. she's so good at what she does, even though it's not necessarily, you know, what her life's mission was all about. And she mm-hmm. doesn't get to be with horses every day. But yeah, people like that are an excellent testimony to, you know, finding success and happiness where you're at and not always pursuing a greater idea of when I get to this point, I'll be happy. You know, mm-hmm. we've got to, we've got to make sure we put value into everything that we're doing today and what we're working on and just the little joys along the way. Like you said, um, seeing how kids are riding and developing and learning their horses and oh man, there's so yeah. many good things to experience with that. Exactly. And I think sometimes the disconnect comes from how we first entered the equestrian world. I mean, there's mm-hmm. pretty much overwhelmingly is that everyone started by taking like horseback riding lessons and being a rider themselves. So yeah. I wonder how that would shift if people came into the industry in the with you know with the other areas of the industry, but it seems like most people find their love and their passion for it and and of course all of us little girls wanted to be, you know, professional riders and go to the Olympics and do all of that stuff. Yeah. So yeah, I wonder I just wonder if that that's where the disconnect comes from, but it it's yeah. worth it because that's definitely where the initial passion is instilled to then, you know, keep it as part of all of our lives. Yeah. And it's an interesting conversation to, to consider, especially nowadays, as we're talking about how to get more people involved in the horse industry and how to better serve amateur riders. And, you know, what can we do to continue growing the sport? Certainly it's important to think about not just how are people finding horses, but also what opportunities are we presenting to them once they've arrived (laughs) and, you know, at the barn, are we telling them about all the things that you can do? Or are we just saying, you know, you can ride and that's it. You know, there's so many other things that people can get creative and do and, yeah, it's, it's really interesting. Absolutely. Definitely more conversations to be had in that area for sure. But Kelly, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure and um, I wish you all the best and um, the best as you are finishing up your pregnancy. Thank you so much, Bethany. It's an honor and a privilege to be here. I've been a longtime listener and I love the podcast. So I hope your listeners have enjoyed hearing a little bit more about me and about Polo. All right, that is all I have for you today. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please take a minute and write a review on iTunes. I would so appreciate it. It helps people like you find the podcast and it helps me get some killer guests. Thank you so much and I will talk to you next week.